Welcome to today's edition of the Blazing Grace Show with your trio of hosts, Jason Graves, Rob McIntyre, and Mike Janung. Blazing Grace covers blazing issues with grace-filled answers. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Time to blaze. Here are your hosts, Jason, Rob, and Mike. Sexual abuse and sexual addiction. Well, welcome to the Blazing Grace Show. This is Jason Graves. We're with Rob McIntyre. Hello, Rob. Hey, Jason. How you doing, buddy? This I'm seems good. like old times. I'm good. We're, 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 we're back, folks, to our original format with Rob and I. Mike is uh, growing facial hair. a little bit of a, a time to <laughs> grow some facial hair and finish his book. Uh, so we're going to be doing a couple shows without him. But uh, we're going to talk about something kind of deep today, Rob. Yeah, and yeah. We're going to be sh- talking about sexual abuse because it is very common for people dealing with sexual addiction to also have sexual trauma or sexual abuse in their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so, Rob, I'd like for you to kind of just, before we share our stories, talk a little bit about the definition, as you understand it, as a you know certified sex therapist, of sexual abuse and kind of define that for people so that they know a little bit of, about what we're talking about. Good question. And, you know, I, I, it's really important as I've helped people with sex therapy or sex addiction issues that um, you look at the full gamut. Many people think when they hear the term sexual abuse, they immediately think of the horrific stories we see in the news. But I think when we look at sexual abuse, it has to be anything that has occurred that has caused sexual gratification for the perpetrator mm-hmm. on another person. And the victim would be usually the person who's been abused. And, and that would be a person, usually the victims, uh, who would be either in a position that was vulnerable. Absolutely. Uh, or that the uh, contact caused some type of distress. Right, yeah. And so in it, other words, something doesn't have to be legally abusive or abusive in the legal sense to be sexually traumatic. Right. And, and it was the same thing when I was a cop. You know, you could have somebody touch some person in a private area on clothing, and that is still what they call that is sexual um, assault. Mm-hmm. It's a sexual sexual battery. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, just the touch. And now we've even learned, even, you know, you've seen in, in a lot of our uh, industries that sexual harassment is another form of trauma, mm-hmm. but it's verbal and it is uh, emotional but it doesn't really become physical. So physical sexual trauma is the touching, the inappropriate touching onto another person perpetrated by somebody. And I don't think, from a legal standpoint, I think they want to know if that brought sexual gratification. But for the person who's been abused, it doesn't matter. You could be inappropriately touched, and if you felt that that was abuse, that is abuse to you. Right, right. Okay, so if you're identifying with this, uh, we want to make sure that you have a story to connect to. Uh, many times people who have been through something traumatic, uh, they are invalidated in their stories. Mm-hmm. They're told that, no, that never really happened or that you, you can't talk about it. Right. But Rob and I want to share a little bit about our stories to give you some hope that, yeah, A, you can talk about it, and B, there are others out there likely uh, right. like you. So, uh, Rob, why don't you go ahead and then I'll share a little bit about my story. All right. Uh, it's interesting, you know, it wasn't really until about six years ago that I was really 
uh, even willing to share what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only select people knew. I was always concerned about how they would take the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically it was like this. Here I I was, I accepted uh, the Lord at the age 12 and had started to develop some skills, some giftings, you know, started to realize that girls liked me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had kind of a pleasant face, I guess, you know. About 14? I was actually 12 when I got saved, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm leading up to age 14, Mm -hmm. you know, started to kind of realize that, you know, girls were cool, had kissed a couple of gals and stuff like that and done some real fun stuff. Musically, I started to kind of find my niche, even athletically found that I could run and, and do some things, you know, so my self image was interesting at that age, you know, here's the awkward age of 12, 13, up to 14. And I was just, I think, you know, on the threshold of breaking into masculinity. Mm-hmm. Now, never struggled with masturbation up to then. Um, but, you know, I felt real good about my life, even though my home life was a disaster, felt real good about where I was going. And I, and I remember that clearly. I remember that the world was good. And I, re- and I went on this trip with my dad and my other brothers out to the East Coast. Uh, things didn't work out, so I had to take a bus back to the, the Bay Area. And what happened is when I got into the bus station, I got in several hours early, which mm-hmm. I was supposed to be picked up by my mom around 6.30 a.m., mm-hmm. but I got in like 2.30. So I had to wait at this bus station. Well, as anybody knows, bus stations, they're pretty seedy, but I, I, you know, I just didn't have a clue. I, had no, I didn't know anything about perpetrators, didn't know anything about being sexually abused. It just wasn't something we talked about. And so I remember going up to a restroom. Uh, I remember a gentleman was was kind of watching me, but I didn't think anything of it because I was a pretty outgoing, gregarious kid. I remember this one thing when I was on the bus ride back. I remember going in and getting something to eat, and there was some girl at a cash register who could not ring up my bill because she was so Twitter-pated by my presence. Hmm. Twitter-pated means that she just couldn't. And it was kind of fun, you know. So I had a lot of fun on the trip. I felt real secure, real safe, was real outgoing, Was would speak to anybody. So here I was here at the bus station, and uh, this guy's talking to me in the men's restroom. <clears throat> Red flag, you know, now in retrospect, but at the time I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. So he's talking to me, and, and he's following me throughout the bus station. And, you know, I'm just kind of thinking this guy wants to be friendly, so I was being friendly back to him. He says, hey, you want to check out a motorcycle? I go, yeah, I'll check out your motorcycle, and I have some time to kill. So I went outside with him, and my family had owned motorcycles, so I was real familiar with him. And, you know, he said, you know, you want to take a ride? And I go, I'm not really that comfortable to take a ride. You know, i got to wait for somebody. He goes, no, you need to take a ride. And the, we were outside of the bus station kind of in a, in a dark area, and he pulled a knife on me. And I said, you know, I, and, and this was the first time I was ever really forced to see violence. I mean, I had been in a couple fights with guys at school, but nothing ever life-threatening. And here, I just remember the shock of it, just going, I can't believe this is happening. Pulled a knife on me, and I resisted, and so he hit me. And this guy, he was bigger than I was. He was obviously much older than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I complied. I took a ride, and we ended up at a bar. And 2.33 in the morning, you know, there's nobody there. And so he took me in the bar, and I knew something was up. I, I had no idea, but I just thought, I got to comply. If I comply, I'll get through this. So next thing I know, we're inside the bar, and he's asking me to do some bizarre things, unclothe myself, and, and I'm resisting again, and he's hitting me, and, and you know, I, I just, I you know, I remember looking back, and I, I just thought, you know, I don't think I can win. I don't think I could beat this guy physically. I just never had that kind of survival. So my surviving thought at the time was, 
I'm just going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Um, Try to charm them. Try to say, hey, I'll do whatever you want, you know. And so I complied. And uh, next thing went to sexual behaviors. He started to um, orally copulate me, force Mm -hmm. me. And, you know, that was my first, and, I, and I, I'm sorry that I'm going to get graphic, but that was my first sexual experience. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I never had an orgasm mm-hmm. before. And so, uh, and that actually ended up becoming an issue for me in my sex addiction. Mm-hmm. But, but then on top of that, he forced me, he sodomized me. And, uh, and, and I remember that the minutes turned into hours. Actually, I could still feel... I'm getting kind of nervous right now telling mm-hmm. my story. It's mm-hmm. still the trauma is still there. It really takes you back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I haven't really gone through this like this before, mm-hmm. um, mostly publicly. Right. And I remember uh, that, you know, I had pulled into myself mm-hmm. and my body began to feel as if it was disconnected from me. It was connected to me, but it wasn't sensorily connected to me. There mm-hmm. was not, I couldn't feel sensation. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that, that time seemed to lose meaning right. and, and things got real kind of foggy. And I just remember him getting done with me mm-hmm. basically and getting his fill of whatever he wanted with me. And then I just, I, I continued to be charming and tried to say, Hey, you know, I won't say anything to anybody and so on and so forth. And, and then he ended up taking me back to the bus station. I had, I think I remember this earth, wind and fire. I said, Hey, give me this album and I won't say anything. Cause it was, there was a studio there too, um, dance studio. Hmm. So give me this album and I won't say anything to you. And he took me back to the bus station. But by this time, you know, hours had transpired. It was light outside and the police and my mom were waiting for me. Wow. They, they had apparently somebody had seen something. Mm-hmm. And so he got arrested and it's ironic. I, I, I tell this in my book that I hope to have out pretty soon, but I ended up seeing him two other, actually three other times, one in court, yeah. one other time when I testified against my perpetrator when I was 18, when he almost killed another kid. And then the third time was when I was working in the jail as a cop. Yeah. He was right in front of me. So, oh man, I'll tell you, tell me the story is kind of tough, but anyways, that's, that's basically my trauma. And and it took me a long time to really even want to think about it, to go there. And then it took me till I was about 37, 38 to really begin to deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. And I just shoved that down and, right. and hoped that it would stay in its cupboard. Right. You know? And there's been a great cost because of that. Oh, it's huge. But there's also been a great freedom, I mm-hmm. know, because I know you personally and I know your heart. There's been a great freedom in your ability to now share it. Yeah. Yeah. And put it into the light yeah. as you're called to do. I mean, not everybody's called to go on the radio and talk about you know their abduction and, yeah. and their sexual abuse. But that's what God's asked you to do. Oh, and absolutely. as a result, there's a lot of healing there. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel extremely... I don't know how to say this. Uh, I don't want it to sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but I feel that my story must be told right. because I feel that people must be freed. Yeah. They've got to hear that there is a way to overcome this and to become courageous, not to be a victim, but to be a warrior. Right. Um, female and male. Right. So Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who feels like they may not be called to go on the radio, but they do have a sense that um, this is something that is important to work through, but they're afraid to share it with anybody? 
Well, I would find a trusted person, a pastor, a counselor, uh, call me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you my number, 719-593-1163. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I'll give you my toll-free number, one eight seven seven five nine three one one six six. Call me. I'm if if you've resonated with my story, I can hear your story. Yeah. And but find a trusted person. Find somebody that you know through experience that you sense that they won't judge you. Because that was my greatest fear that somebody would think I was gay. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, that was my fear. Right. And you know, it's amazing how that just attacked me in even my whole law enforcement career. Mm-hmm. I could never tell guys what had happened to me because of my fear. And I think actually the fear was right. I think the fear was right. I think well, that yeah. would have been twisted on me. Oh, it would have definitely. Yeah, and that's uh, that's sad. Yeah, uh, you're in a different career now. You're in a different culture where yeah. you can talk about those things and you can actually be praised for it. So it is a matter of finding the right place. The mm-hmm. Bible tells us not to throw our pearls before yeah. before swine, right. and that's because pigs don't have a use for jewelry. Pigs. And your, your, yeah. no, no pun intended, officer. But, you know, the bottom line is is that, you know, swines don't have a purpose for something so precious. And right. these stories that we have, and I'll share mine in just a, a moment, um, they have a great value to them, mm-hmm. and a lot of meaning, and it's not to be just thrown out there for anybody. Right. Uh, it takes caring. Uh, it takes concern. It takes uh, a level of calling. And most of all, empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. So if you can find somebody like that, that's who you need to share your story with because there's a lot of freedom and a release as a result of you. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Now, some people can identify with your story because they've been uh, abused in a very violent, mm-hmm. in a very uh, boundary-breaking way, and in a very stark way uh, like you have. Some people may not understand what's happened to them as abuse. And I think they may be able to connect to some aspects of my story in that way. Well, here it goes. When I was about nine years old, I had a babysitter that uh, asked me to give her a back rub. And, you know, when she was doing this, she was asking me to, you know, move my hands more and more forward to the, you know, to the point where at one point my hands were no longer on her back. Right. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, I remember enjoying this, but really feeling, you know, weird about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. Right. Well, from there, uh, essentially, that kind of opened up those ideas in my head. And I began to go over to a girl's house uh, after school. She would lure me over with uh, pizza. I remember I, I was a real sucker for those party pizzas. And so she would lure me over and, and uh, you know, we would you know do sexual things together. And uh, same thing. She was older, and I, I had a sense of excitement about it. But at the same time, I just felt, you know, I just felt uncomfortable with mm-hmm. it, and I didn't know how to say no. And from that point, then I uh, became having a lot of sexual contact with other, all sorts of people in in the neighborhood, other um, boys and uh, other girls, and and then in uh, high school, um, it, it, it evolved from there. But another thing that happened to me when I was about 10 years old on the abuse side was that I had a, a scout leader whose name was Marty. And, uh, and and I can't even tell you the name of this babysitter. I think we only had her babysitter a couple times. But this, uh, this scout leader, I remember real well. His name was Marty. Very charismatic personality. Mm-hmm. I was younger than the other scouts. And so um, when they built these lean-tos and were going to sleep outside... I didn't really want to do that. And so uh, I opted to sleep in the camper with my scout leader. 
And uh, he was kind of a drinker. And so I remember he had had a few. <laughs> Scout leader. And yeah, he was a real wow. great role model. Um, but anyways, you know, the uh, the thing that, that happened was he asked me to sleep in his sleeping bag. And the way he can uh, convinced me to do that was he said, well, you know, when you're in the wilderness, uh, you need to sleep together in the same sleeping bag and take off all your clothes because um, if you have clothes on, you're not going to be able to stay as warm. Hmm. Uh, which is true. I mean, right. if you're in the wilderness, you know that is uh, that is a good a thing. Survival, to do. it's a survival technique, yeah. right? But he was using that to manipulate me right. for his own purposes, you know. And he had told us that he was accused where where he was from back in Maine of of uh, molesting children, like some you know uh, story how he had rolled over in the middle of the night and his arm you know landed on somebody and they reported that. Mm. Well, and of course back then in the early '80s. You know, you just didn't hear about child right. abuse much. Right. So, you know, of course you would believe him. He was a very charismatic guy and very believable and mm-hmm. a storyteller. And right. Plus, he was an authority. He was right. the scoutmaster. Right. So, you know, we get in this, this uh, sleeping bag together, and we're just in our underwear, and I'm really uncomfortable with it. And uh, he begins to just wrap himself around me, which I'm really uncomfortable mm-hmm. with. But I'm 10, and I, I don't know what to say. Right. And I'm really creeped out, and uh, but I remember... It was almost kind of like that movie Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey was like, find a happy place, right? Right. I remember, like you talked about detaching and mentally just saying, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Right. Just ignore this. Right. Just ignore this. And you know what? That is probably the worst thing I could have done. Um, I think that if my parents would have told me that you say no, you can say no to adults right. when these right. things happen, when you're uncomfortable, right. and we'll back you up, I would have been able to do it. But because I wasn't, the net net of all that was I really lost respect for uh, adults mm-hmm. or people in authority over me. Mm-hmm. I became very mistrustful of them. I became um, really grossed out by them too. I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't really like right. adults. Right. You know, they were gross. And uh, then when I found some pornography in the woods, that just really enhanced all of this brokenness and mm-hmm. led that into my sexual addiction. And uh, so, you know, that's my story. And, and, you know, if if I hadn't been trained in counseling, I don't know that I would have recognized those things as abusive. Right, right. I, I know that I would have recognized them as uncomfortable. Right. But honestly, I can understand where people sometimes say, I have no recollection of this, or I just... Or, or or they have these memories that come out of nowhere right. that they, they remember once they get into a healing process because it's like their brain feels safe enough to bring those things up again right? and, and to deal with them. Um, so I, I kind of want to just share that story with, with y'all because I want you to have something to connect with that might not seem as overtly abusive. But, but Rob, you might have some questions, but then well, also, well, you know, I, I want to have a chance to um, just process some of our experiences with our clients, but go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have to just say this. Uh, this has come to my mind. I saw the movie Mystic River about three years ago, mm. two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember the scene where the boy had been abducted for several mm-hmm. days and he's walking back into his house and the neighbors, the neighbors comment, the two neighbor men go, yeah, he's uh, wrecked goods or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Right. And I remember kind of feeling that way about myself. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like, and when I remember seeing that, the first time I ever seen that movie, that's where I basically said, I can't watch this. Right. Uh, and I've since watched the movie, and it's pretty, pretty sad, amazing movie, but it's, it's just sad. But many of us come away feeling like we are damaged. That's what he said, damaged goods. Right. 
many of us come away thinking, and, and I think for me it was more of a subconscious thought rather than a conscious thought, M- meaning that I didn't hear the term victim in my head, but I behaved like a victim. Now, I say all this to ask you this, Jason, where yours is more like a small T trauma, wasn't as an overt trauma as mine, even though it's substantial how it has affected you. Did you ever come away with like subconscious thoughts about yourself? Did you ever become aware of some of those things? Or even you, you mentioned your mistrust in adults. Mm -hmm. Did, did you ever come away with stuff like that or? Yeah, I did. I mean, I definitely know that what I am attracted to or what my flesh is attracted to or what my addiction is centered around is deeply impacted by the, um, by the experiences I had. Mm-hmm. So in effect, I think that spiritually speaking, that trauma or that experience not only changed my my way of thinking about sex and, and how I understood myself as a sexual being up to that point, but it also changed the nature of what I was attracted to. Right. Uh, for example, I, I, w- I didn't have any interest in women. It was really in in uh, you know, in men, right? And uh, you know, so so God's been healing that, and right. I'm, I'm grateful for that, right? But yeah, uh, I think we have to be aware. Like uh, I know with our clients, um, you've seen it a hundred times that people's acting out behaviors are very much like what happened to them traumatically in their developing years, right? You can just trace it right back. And trauma based sexual addict sexual addicts um, are are um, People who have endured sexual trauma or sexual abuse at a rate of about 70%. In other words, 70% of um, sex addicts have been sexually traumatized. Mm. And you can see That's that significant. Um, yeah, the, 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 the addiction lies in the compulsion right. to repeat the trauma. Because right. essentially what you're doing is you're recreating this, the situation. And but this time you're the adult, you're in the driver's seat, and right. it creates that illusion of control. Can I can I make just one more comment to that? We got about a minute. I know, okay. but this is really important. It's what goes on in the brain. Vanderkalk, right. Doctor Vanderkalk, wrote an article on this. But what happens in the brain is that it produces endogenous opioids. Mm. So the trauma produced it's kind of a, a shock containing va- mm-hmm. um, medication, mm-hmm. and uh, so when we actually reenact. The trauma, we actually get the same high. Right. It's it's a trauma high. Right. It's and, like that mixture of scared and excited. I mean, right. how many times have you talked with a client where their feelings about the initial incident was scared and excited? Right. And their tra- feelings about their acting out was scared and excited. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap up. We've just got a minute. Please pray for uh, all those of us uh, and those those listening who, who are dealing with sexual trauma in their recovery. And uh, remember that you can get help. Uh, Rob and I are both counselors, so just listen at the end of the show for information on how to contact us. Uh, We have groups available where men from all over the country are getting healed from their sexual addiction and sexual trauma. Um, Do you want to give to The Blazing Gray Show? We are listener-supported. We are uh, happy to receive your your gifts, and they are tax-deductible. Uh, just send us an email at mike at blazinggrace.org or visit the website blazinggrace.org. We'd like to thank Kathy in Colorado and Eric in Illinois for being faithful supporters. Uh, tune in next time. We're going to continue to explore this topic of sexual abuse. Thanks for listening and God bless you.
Thank you for tuning in to this edition of The Blazing Grace Show. We trust today's broadcast helps bring you closer to God and to what God desires for your life. Blazing Grace is a listener-supported mission intended to help listeners around the world. Your support is vital in keeping that mission alive. We ask you to prayerfully consider sending a tax-deductible gift to Blazing Grace. It would be gratefully appreciated. You can send your monetary gift to Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 625. 521 Colorado Springs, Colorado 80962-2521. That's Blazing Grace, PO Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80962-2521. Want to learn more about Blazing Grace? Find us on the internet at triple w blazinggrace.org that's triple w b l a z i n g g r a c e dot o r g forward slash radio dot h t m on that page you'll find a downloadable copy of this show or you can visit oneplace.com under ministries look for blazing grace radio if you want help resolving a sexual addiction you can reach rob mcintyre and jason graves toll free by dialing 877-590-SOUL that's 877 877- 7685 Desire for a specific subject to be covered on Blazing Grace? Tell Mike Janung what you want covered. You can email Mike at Mike, the symbol at blazinggrace.org. We look forward to sharing more blazing issues and grace-filled answers next time. Thanks once again for listening, and may God shine his grace upon you.